Our Old Testament lesson this morning actually is from Psalm 1. It is Psalm 1. I'm just going to stay down here this morning. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6, which can be found on page 840 in the New Testament section. In the New Testament. I'm just all kinds of off today. <laughs> Psalm 1, 1 through 6, which can be found on page 840 in your pew Bibles. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. We pray that you would help us to hear it. We pray that you would help us to receive it. We pray that you would help us to be those um, who have been prepared to receive it into our lives, that it would bring, uh, bring the change that you desire in us as we continue to grow up as your children, that we continue to grow in your word and in those, as those who reflect who you are, resemble you with that family resemblance. We pray that you would grow us in those who uh, have the fruit of the Spirit growing in us, that we would be those with greater love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control than we've ever had before. And help us to remember as we grow in these things that it is you who produces that growth as we trust in you. Lord, pray this for this morning and for always. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Turning then to maybe the shortest New Testament lesson we've ever had. So it's Luke chapter 24, verses 50 through 53. It's the very end of the gospel according to Luke. It can be found on page 1645 in your pew Bibles. And this is after Jesus appearing to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, appearing again uh, after that or what we learn other places, for more than 40 days. He's appearing to lots of and lots of disciples. And then, Luke 24, verse 50 and following. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, that is uh, actually today is Ascension Sunday. The Sunday of the church as a whole uh, celebrates Jesus' ascension into heaven and what that means uh, for us and for the church. But it's also the day before Pentecost. So next Sunday is Pentecost when we will see 
how not only Jesus ascends into heaven, but then how the Holy Spirit is sent. And what we've been reading in the book of Acts, and that's where the book of Acts kind of picks up and sort of takes off, is the story of how then Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father then continues to act on behalf of the church. He actually tells the disciples earlier on, it's actually for your benefit that I go away. Because as long as I'm here, I'm paraphrasing now, (laughs) as long as I'm here, I can only be in one place at a time. But if I go to the Father, that opens up all kinds of new possibilities. And one of the things we're going to see today is how, uh, through the Spirit of God, Jesus can be in all different kinds of places, doing all different kinds of things at the same time. And so where we're looking this morning is Acts Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 18. I'm going through 28, through the end of the chapter. And this is uh, following Paul and his journeys around from place to place. He's been telling people about Jesus, and we've been seeing that, and we saw last week how you know, God is with him wherever he goes. And this week, he continues traveling on from Corinth, and we're just going to follow him around a little bit here at the beginning. So don't, don't lose track here, because this is going somewhere. So uh, it says, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. That's what we said last week was like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. So he stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before, those were the tent makers that he worked with last week. Okay. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Kincrea because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Okay, so that's the part where we're following Paul around. The next word in your Bible you probably notice is meanwhile. <laughs> and it reminds me of like all, all the old um, comic books or the old TV shows. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, that sort of thing. So this is what's going on. Luke is telling the story, and he's been telling the story of how the Holy Spirit has been work, at work in the life of Paul, and everywhere he goes, what's happening because of that. And so he says, okay, this is still going on. God is still working through Paul in these ways, and he goes from this place to this place to this place telling people about Jesus and encouraging and strengthening the believers who are already there and the churches that have been planted along the way. But that's not what's important right now. (laughs) That is still going on, but I want you to know that's not the only way that God has been working. It's just through Paul, and you kind of get the impression as you're reading through Acts to this point that, you know, God's really at work in Peter, and oh, he's really at work in Paul, and everybody else, who knows? And so now it's almost like Luke makes a point of saying, it's not just those guys. In fact, let me tell you about some of the other people. So here we go. This is where it gets, this is where it gets fun. Some other people. Because meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, 
They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. All right. So here we have three additional people, Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. And we're going to see how God is actually working in uh, each of their lives in different ways. But how now it's, it's not just Peter. It's not just Paul. We have these other people. So, for example, Priscilla and Aquila. Who are these people? We kind of met them last week in Corinth. They were there in Corinth making tents. Why were they in Corinth making tents? They're making tents because that's what they did. They were tent makers. But they were in Corinth because they'd been kicked out of Rome, basically. The emperor had said, no more Christians in Rome. There's no more Jewish people in Rome. I think that was actually it. No more Jewish people in Rome because of this uh, Christus. <laughs> probably a reference to Christ. It's people talking about this. They're arguing about that. It's kind of stirring up trouble in, in the city, and uh, we don't want that. So you all got to go. So that's where Priscilla and Aquila leave, and now they set up shop in Corinth, and they're doing that, which is where they meet Paul. Now they've traveled with Paul as they've gone around and they've ended up in Ephesus. This is a city where Paul said he'll, he'll be back if it's God's will, right? Next week we'll see. He comes back and there's some pretty amazing stuff that happens in Ephesus. We'll get to that later. But for now, we have Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. And in, in this city, uh, they are there and they're making their tents. They're doing their thing. But they're also going to the synagogue. We see this as one of the things that they're doing. They're going to the synagogue. And who do they hear at the synagogue? This guy named Apollos. And Apollos has come from Alexandria, but he, and as he knows the scriptures well. He's a Jewish man. He knows the Old Testament really well. Um, but he also knows about Jesus. He knows about the baptism of John, the baptism of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner to Jesus, the guy who came and he said, repent, uh, the kingdom of heaven is near. And he uh, told everybody to repent, to turn away from your sin, to turn back to God. And it was almost like this way of having a fresh start. It was great. If a fresh start is all we needed. And so Apollos knows about this, and he's going, and he's going to the synagogue, and he's saying, hey, everybody, let me tell you, there was this guy named Jesus. And I can tell you about this baptism of repentance. And and Priscilla and Aquila go to the synagogue, and they hear this guy talking. And then what happens? They meet him afterwards, and they say, hey, why don't you come to our house? So they take him back to their house, and they tell him more about Jesus than he's known before. And so now Apollos, who was called to be a public speaker, is being instructed and discipled by people who were not called to be up in front of everybody telling everybody everything. And yet, they are still discipling him. They're teaching him. They're instructing him. Um, And so, I I think this is a beautiful example in Scripture that we have of it not just being the preachers. But this isn't something for everybody. 
that everybody is involved in discipleship, that everybody is involved in education. Now, let me tell you, this past week, this, today is Mother's Day. We know that. I'll tell you a story about that in a second. <laughs> also, uh, this past week has been Teacher Appreciation Week. And so I've got to tell you a story about um, a sixth-grade teacher I had. You've all probably had good teachers. You've probably all had bad teachers, right? You know what makes the difference. The bad teachers tend to be those who are doing it because they, they feel like they have to. I got to get the paycheck. I got to you know put in the time. I got to do whatever. They don't care about the students. They don't care about the subject, right? And you know the good teachers you've had are those who are passionate about their subject matter and who are passionate about their students, right? I mean, that's how it goes. My sixth grade teacher, English teacher, Evie Eskridge. I think she was just starting, I think it was her first year at that school. I don't know that it was her first year teaching, but I'm sure looking back on it that all the other teachers thought she was crazy. (laughs) She had a group of sixth graders, and she read us Shakespeare out loud. We went through the entire play of Hamlet. That was my first exposure to Shakespeare. It was as a sixth grader in an English class having her read the whole thing out loud to us, and she acted all the parts. (laughs) And she would stop every few lines and just explain what was going on. And she was animated, and she really was excited about this. And it was one of those where even if we didn't understand what in the world she was talking about, we're like, but there's got to be something exciting about this, because she's obviously excited. And sure enough, by the time we got to the end of that story, we were like, that is the best story ever. <laughs> and, uh, of course, we were also sixth graders. We are like, everybody gets killed. It's wonderful. Anyway, <laughs> it is a, it's a really cool story. And it's one that I still enjoy as an adult, but it's something that I got from her as a sixth grade teacher to the point that when my kids started getting about sixth grade age, I was like, we're reading Hamlet. We're doing that. I'm going to do it the same way she did it, and we'll see if this you know, catches on for you the same way it did for me. And sure enough, they got all excited about it too. But it all comes from that teacher who was passionate about her subject and very creative in her uh, communication of it as she was passionate about her students. She also did a thing where we lived in Oklahoma, and so, you know, the whole land run, everybody knew about that. So we just incorporated that into how we did our seating assignments. We had a land run for desks. <laughs> Interesting. Anyway, she had all kinds of crazy things that we did as she was um, passionate about teaching her subject to these students. Um, That's the kind of thing that I think should be an everybody thing. If we really are those who love God and who love others, we should be passionate about him, passionate about knowing him, about walking with him, about learning more about who he is and what he's like and what that means in our lives every day. But we should also be passionate then about other people, about helping people who don't know to know. And so when Priscilla and Aquila hear Apollos and he's talking, instead of going home and going, well, that wasn't very good. You know, he mentioned this, but he didn't ever talk about this part of Jesus. You know, instead, they take him and they say, why don't you come over to our house? And now suddenly, (laughs) their house becomes a Sunday school class. Their house becomes a sanctuary. You think about what happens in a church building, and sometimes people confuse the church building with the church, but the church building is not the church. 
the people are the church. And so whenever you go to your house, when you are gathered together in your house with Christians, the church is there. And so I don't know what kind of conversations go on around your kitchen table or throughout your living room. I don't know the way, who it is you invite over, the kinds of things you talk about, or if, if that is what happens there at all. But maybe today this passage can challenge us to think about the rooms in our house differently as places where Christian education ought to be happening, where we help one another. So it's not just about if I can just invite this person to church, then they'll hear about Jesus. But instead, if I can invite this person to my house, we can share a meal together. And we can talk about Jesus. Let me tell you what I'm passionate about. Let me hear your story. We can communicate together uh, where, this, where this story meets your story. It says Mother's Day. So I got to tell a story about my mom. My mom uh, was a widow at age 35. Um, my dad was killed when I was seven years old, so she was already had three kids, was pregnant with the fourth at the time, and so she raised four of us um, mostly on her own. And as a part of that, um, every night, yeah, I say every night, not every night, <laughs> most nights before bed, we would gather up with whoever was still at home. <laughs> as people got older, it got more difficult, but gather up with whoever was still at home, and she would read. Lots of stories, but almost always from the Bible. And we would just go through it again and again. To the point that when I was in high school Sunday school class, and I had a high school Sunday school teacher who always joked about me being the Bible scholar because I always knew the different things. He'd <laughs> throw out the question, and, oh, yeah, I know about that guy. I know about that part. And he always joked about me being a Bible scholar. I had done zero study of the Bible on my own. The only things that I knew is what I had picked up from Sunday school classes that I'd been raised in, but mostly from a mom reading it aloud to us. Because our living room became a sanctuary. It became a Sunday school class. And so she would sit there in that old <laughs> ratty blue recliner, <laughs> And she was a tired woman. <laughs> but she would read to us about what she was passionate about. And she would read to us this story of Jesus because she knew as a mom she didn't know what to do with us. But she knew the one who did. And she said, if, if I can raise them to know him, if he is the one who is raising them, and I trust that more than anything, then I can read this to them. And we can talk about this, and we can pray together. And then I don't have to worry about it. Oh, well. I guess you maybe don't have to. Worry kind of goes along with motherhood, I think. But um, I'll never get away from that completely. You may not worry about it as much. This is another thing that we have caught on to 
that has come from my mother, is that reading the scripture aloud to each other, talk about those things. It is one of the reasons why, you know, when I talk about the, the read scripture plan that we have, and you keep hearing this from me over and over, because I'm really passionate about this. I really do believe that it is through reading the word of God that we come to know him better. And it is not only through reading it alone, sitting there and going over it on our own, that we learn to know him better, some of that, but that he's called us to do it together. And so, yes, come on Wednesday night. If you can't come on Wednesday night, still read it. Still get together and talk about it with others. Turn your own kitchen into a Sunday school room, into a Bible study room. Turn your uh, dining room table into a fellowship table. Turn your living room into a sanctuary. Does this make any sense? I hope so. This is what we see Priscilla and Aquila doing with Apollos. Apollos then goes on and says that uh, as he then goes on from there, they're able to send him out. With, I mean, they're joyful to send him out. They're writing letters, like, receive this guy and listen to what he says. Turns out he's a great speaker. And now that he knows Jesus, what he's speaking is great for everyone. And that, of course, is the, uh, the final point. Is that he had been a great speaker before, and he had known the Old, Old Testament before, and he even knew the baptism of John before. But none of that on its own was enough. It's what, what it's all about, what it's always been about, is Jesus. So I got this book recently, and I have not read very much of it, but there was something at the beginning I did want to share. So if, I, don't, I think I can recommend the whole book, but at this point, not really. Um, it's a book called The One True Thing, and it's by Howard Baker, who was the speaker at our Mission Affinity Group a couple weeks ago in San Angelo. And he had a lot of good things to say. Anyway, that's where I think I can recommend it. But anyway, he says... These following somewhat random yet connected statements will give you an idea of where we're going, and it's only fair that you know our direction. And as the flight attendant says, if this isn't your destination, now would be an excellent time to get off the plane. It's good. And so that's where I want to read this part, because this is not only where he's going in his book, this is where we are going as a church. This is where we go as individual Christians. This is where we go as disciples. So he says, how do these thoughts strike you? The, writers of, the writer of Hebrews simply says, all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. According to Oswald Chambers, Jesus taught that a disciple has to make his relationship to God the dominating concentration of his life and to be carefully careless about everything else in comparison to that. We are liberated to be carefree in the care of God. Next, it says the wellspring of life for the disciple of Jesus, the wellspring of life for the disciple is Jesus. All else is decoration or distraction. Let me read that one again. The wellspring of life for the disciple is Jesus. All else is decoration or distraction. Jesus told the rich young ruler, one thing you lack. He was young. He was rich. He was in charge. He was religious. What could he possibly be lacking? Didn't he have everything? He had everything but the one true thing. How many times do we have to hear those who appear to have it all say, there's got to be more than, to life than this? 
before we finally believe what our Bibles clearly teach. Next. In my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers states, God nowhere tells us to give up things for the sake of giving them up. He tells us to give them up for the sake of the only thing worth having, life with himself. He goes on from there, but I think that's a good enough place. You get the point. You get the point. Apollos had a lot of knowledge. He was an eloquent speaker. He knew the baptism of John, but he still needed Jesus. We see Apollos, or we see Priscilla and Aquila as these tent makers who have gone from place to place. They're still going to synagogue, but now they are going so that they can tell people about Jesus. Not as preachers, but as Christians, as disciples who have been called to make disciples. I hope that is where um, that is where you are. If it is not, maybe this would be a good day and a good time to pray about that direction. That you would be a disciple who's making disciples. That you would think about people. You would pray about people that you may need to invite to your home to talk about Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.